Well, good morning, church family. There's a few of you that I haven't gotten to um, see and greet and hug yet. It is good to be back. I was not scheduled to preach this early in my return. Um, And I want to tell you how it comes to be that I'm standing here this morning. Uh, Our first, my first week back was two weeks ago and um, had just a wonderful couple of days of listening to Pastor Gina give me the Cliff Notes version of the last six months. What happened in the congregation? What happened in your lives? Uh, What was God doing? And there were some things that were beautiful, that just brought great joy and delight to my heart, and it was sweet to listen to. And there were some things that were painful and that were really hard, and that brought grief and even tears to my heart to hear. And those are things that happened in some of your lives, some, some of you who are sitting here this morning, some who aren't here this morning but are part of our family and receive care. And um, the, the, the time that we spent together was on a Wednesday and a Thursday, and Friday morning I woke up and I was spending time with the Lord, and I was just reflecting on some of the hard things that had happened. And uh, as I began reflecting, the Lord put this scripture on my heart. Um, and just began to bubble up and give a sermon. And so I'm just going to tell you the scripture right away. It's very simple. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, because it is the wellspring of life. So I just want to clarify before we head in, there's, there's painful things that happen to us and hurt that occurs in our life that happens because we live in a fallen world where um, sin still happens quite regularly and um, disease and suffering have not yet been eradicated. We have not received new bodies. But there's another kind of pain and hurt and suffering that happens because we bring it on ourselves. And sometimes we bring it through ourselves to other people. And that's the kind that I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us about this morning and to bring a strong encouragement um, coupled with a, a warning. So you've heard the word, and I'll delve into it in a minute, but I need to say a little bit of background about this because I haven't preached on Proverbs in um, seven years here. And so what is Proverbs? Proverbs is um, 31 chapters that comes after the book of Psalms, prayers and worship. And Proverbs is 31 chapters of collected Sayings of wisdom. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not knowledge. You can have knowledge, you can know things and be utterly foolish. Biblically speaking, to have wisdom is to know how to rightly apply knowledge. It's, and it leads to flourishing. It leads to living well. At the bottom of everyone's heart is a desire to be happy to have peace and joy. These are God-instilled desires, and the Bible says to get those things, you need wisdom. And so what is wisdom? It's the ability to, to live well in this world, to flourish. And what do you need to get wisdom? You need, you need a foundation. And the Bible says the beginning of wisdom, or the foundation for wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean fear like when you see a bear, you run, fear, you shake in your boots or you fall on the ground. That means fear like appropriate reverence. 
like you need to have an awareness of who God is as the creator of all things. The one who spoke into being galaxies by the word of his mouth. A sun that's 93 million miles from here and that's nothing compared to what they say is out there. Who is like you, O God? Appropriate reverence for who God is as creator. Because without appropriate reverence, you won't start to say, God, I need you to show me how to live. I need you to show me how you've ordered this world and what it means to be human, created in your image, and how I should live. And you won't seek him. And you won't begin to find wisdom Because wisdom's source is truth, as given in Scripture. So, wisdom leads to flourishing. The foundation for wisdom is appropriate reverence of the Lord. And there's a third thing that needs to be said before we we jump into this proverb, and that is this. That when you open the book of Proverbs, and you, you start reading those first few chapters, at least Four times, it's striking, you will hear these words or a variation of them. My son, pay attention to my commands. My son, listen to these commands or to this wisdom and take it into your heart. And if you'll meditate on this, you will see these things happen in your life. My son, My son. And so over and over, what we're hearing and experiencing first is a dad, a father who wants his children to flourish. A father who has learned what it looks like to walk with God, to know God, and they want to see that transmitted. And what parent doesn't want to see their child flourish? So the way that this word is going to come to us this morning is from the heart of God the Father who says, My children, listen. Listen. Okay. We're going to shift gears and I want to enter it by telling you a story. Can you flip that? that? Okay, so imagine if this is Joe and Mary Tuflip. It's not. This is just a picture of a family that I found on the internet that looked kind of stressed out to me. And so they're going to represent for us Joe and Mary to flip. Joe and Mary have got four kids, um, aged 6 to 16, and they're a pretty healthy family. Uh, most of the time, they know the Lord, they love him, and uh, they've, they've got their usual family stuff. I mean, they bicker, and, and they've, got, they've got issues like the rest of us, but overall, they're pretty healthy, or they were pretty healthy until uh, Danny came to live with them. Danny was a young man of about 15 years old who was known to their youth pastor who found out that Danny was going to be homeless and wanting to protect him from being on the streets, turned to Joe and Mary and said, listen, this is Danny's situation. Would you consider taking him into your home? And against their better judgment and the things that they'd heard about Danny, they said yes. And so they took Danny in and it took them all of about three days to realize, oh no, this is going to be really bad. Because Danny just carried with him like a cloud, a dark cloud of chaos, of deceit. So things began disappearing in their home. But there was no um, honesty about where those things were going or who was taking them. Danny just began to take things. 
Danny was manipulative, and so he would pit one sibling against another, and he would do this in a real sly way. And so before the, they knew it, they were starting to have conflict in their family that they didn't have normally. And that conflict grew, and it got worse, and the cloud got darker and darker. And um, they just kind of, you know, thought we had we got to kind of buck up underneath this, and we've got to we got to push through. This is, you know, maybe they didn't say it, but they just kind of thought this is what it's like to serve the Lord. You know, it's hard, and so He needs a place, and so we're just gonna we're just gonna try our best. But it didn't get any better. It just got worse, and it got worse, and it got to the point where people in the family weren't even speaking to each other. I mean, their relationships had so degenerated that there was, the, the house is like you walk, you open the door and you could feel tension in the air. People weren't together in the common areas. They stayed in the rooms. If they came out, it was short. It was snippy. It was fighting. It was like a massive dark cloud hung over their house until about three months into Danny's time there when Joe's parents came to visit for Thanksgiving. And it took all of ten minutes of being in the house before they turned to each other and they said, what has gone on here? I mean, they could just tell. And so Joe's dad said to his wife, you stay here with Mary and the kids. I'm taking Joe out to coffee. And he set Joe down over coffee immediately. And he said, Joe, what is going on? And, and it was like Joe didn't know how to answer at first because he'd gotten so used to what was going on that he, he almost didn't know what his dad was talking about. But then slowly it was like, the cobwebs started to clear and, and like he could realize dad's probably talking about the state of our house. And then all of a sudden it was like it came out in a torrent and he just cried and he told his dad everything that had happened. And when his dad finished listening to him really compassionately, he went to Joe and he, he leaned across the table and he put his hands on his shoulders and he said, son, It doesn't need to be like this. You need to guard your home. Son, it's your home. This is nobody else's. It's yours and you need to guard it and what comes into it. Joe and Mary experienced this incredibly painful influx of chaos, of hurt, of many different things because they failed to guard their home. This morning we're going to talk about how we sometimes or we often can experience unnecessary or an influx of pain, of hurt, of hardship because we don't guard our hearts. Again, the Bible says, Above all else, in other words, son, more important than every command I've given, more important than all the wisdom I've imparted, more important than anything I've said to you, son, this is the most important thing. Whatever you do, above all else, guard your heart because your heart is the wellspring of life. You can see that scripture on the bottom. This is just a little cartoon that I found about it. I want to open up three words in that scripture, starting with the word heart. Uh, what does the Bible mean when it says heart? Obviously, it does not mean our physically beating organ that pumps the blood through our body. 
it, it means when the Bible says heart, it's talking about the center of a human being. So remember last year we talked about how um, created in God's image, we are three parts. We are body and we're soul, mind, emotions, will, and we're spirit. I am a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body and they're all together, right? Well, you could picture your heart as, the, as perhaps the, the coming together place of your soul and your spirit. Where your mind, your emotions, and your will, your personality, who you are, who you've become, your life meets with your spirit, who God created you to be. When his word says he formed you in your mother's womb. So it's the center of a human being, your heart. And the Bible says that your heart is a wellspring. Well, what is that? We don't have wellsprings. We want water, we turn on the tap, right? Uh, well, in Bible times, if you wanted water, you'd go to the well. But most wells weren't called well springs. They were called wells because wells is the places that you'd go, the place where you'd go to get water. But a well spring is the place where the water comes from. Well spring is the place where it originates and it carries this meaning. It's a continual source. So wellspring is origin and continual source. So the Bible says that your heart is the origin and the continual source of something. And that that something is your life. Your experience of waking up in the morning and being a human being in this world, your life, says the Bible, comes out of your heart. Now, some of you should be saying, wait a minute, I thought life is what happened to us. Like, if you flip that sign, you know, you go on the internet and you can find a lot of signs that say life happens, coffee helps, life happens, such and such helps. When we talk about life, we often think life is that set of circumstances and relationships and work and environments around us. Our life is composed of all of these different things. We might talk about the parts of my life, right? I have this part of my life, my family part of my life, I've got my work part of my life, and I, my life is typically seen as something out there. And it's typically seen as something that happens to me. How was your week? How was your... And we talk about the things that happen to us. But the Bible is taking a very different view here. The Bible is not saying that our life is all of those things. The Bible is saying, actually, life is what comes out of you. Life is what enters into your relationships and your work and your environment. And it starts from inside you. Well, that's different. And I want to tell you that that is really, really good news. You know what that means? It means we're not victims. We're not victims of our circumstances. We're not victims of anything that happens to us. It means that we have a measure of control, as led by God, over what our life looks like. That might be the biggest takeaway. That might be a gold nugget for some of you this morning who felt like life has happened to you ever since you were a child. And you didn't have a say in a lot of things. And you felt like it keeps happening. 
But God is saying, no, life is something I give you. I put in you. I'm willing to work in you. I'm in you. That's really good news. And if you don't like what's coming out of you, there's hope for change. Because it's in you, and God is a God who promises to redeem, to cleanse, to restore, to bring life. Jesus says, I came so that you could have life and have it to the full. And he says, now this is eternal life, that they could, you could know God the Father and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. So life, relationship lived with God coming out of us. But I want to also say that as joyful as it is, I think it's really sobering news because maybe what's coming out of us isn't so good. Maybe what's going on inside of us and sometimes comes out is pretty miserable. Maybe there's some things that we've allowed into our hearts that are um, poisoning us, others, relationships, diluting the flow of what comes out of us. Could you flip ahead to that that next screen? I just want to look at this for a minute. Can you see clearly that um, the two bottles, one says Flint and one says Detroit. Everybody remembers the Flint water crisis? Yeah? What happened? The source and that which carried the source got poisoned or polluted. And so it carried out to all the residents tinged, colored, polluted water. You would never turn on your tap and drink something like that. Ever. But what's coming out of our hearts? We sang about this earlier this morning, about our need for love, our need for power from God to live godly lives, to love people that might be difficult to love. And so listen to this. If there's anything in your life that you don't like, any particular area of your life that you don't like, the first place you ought to look is your own heart and say, God, what's in my heart? And how is what's in my heart contributing to what's coming out of me? And so let's just look at a couple of these um, things that are listed on that. You can go back um, to that screen that says anger and resentment. I just want to ask about a few of these things and um, wonder together whether any of them may have been given a place in our heart. So anger. Um, it's really easy to get angry. There's a lot of things that could make us angry. In the big picture, look around the world. But in our lives, um, we just get, people do stuff all the time to us. People do stuff at work. They do stuff at home. Some of that stuff is seemingly little, like you took my parking spot or you, <laughs> you, you, um, you, you didn't say me in dinner. Some of that stuff is bigger, like you lied to me. You didn't keep your promise. You, you cheated me. You are doing this over and over. Some of it's huge. Some of us have gone through abuse. We've been hurt. There's no shortage of ways um, to be hurt 
and through that hurt to be made angry. So this anger, resentment, um, forgive, unforgiveness, and bitterness, it's, call, it's, it's, all, it's all part of the same family. It's a cluster of things. And, and if we aren't consciously aware of how we deal with the things that people do to us or that happen to us that are hurtful, we will inevitably spiral into some uh, collection of unforgiveness just takes root in our heart and then that unforgiveness turns into bitterness. And how do you know that you're bitter? Well, listen to yourself. Do you complain? Do you point the finger at other people? Do you gossip? Do you um, have a quick, sharp response to things? Um, If you haven't forgiven, you've allowed something to poison or to dilute your spirit. You've allowed something to take up residence in your heart that is first and foremost affecting you. So, Offense is kind of the same as anger, but it's what precedes it. So I send you a card, and you don't recognize it, and I, I'm offended. He, he, you know, he didn't say anything to me about the card I sent to him. Well, I mean, it might, it might just seem to you like a petty little example, but if you let little things hook you, then they will create within your spirit something impure. Oh, that guy at work is always doing. Oh, that girl. Oh, he spoke this way to me. He did that. Oh. Oh. And we react and we're offended. Or maybe we have an argument with a friend or a spouse. That happens regularly. We call them discussions, disagreements. Rarely they're arguments. But I don't, I don't want to apologize. Or I don't want to go first. Because she's not recognizing her part. He's not saying anything to me about what he did. I know I shouldn't have spoken in that tone of voice, but... And just, just like that, just that quick, there's a little pride. I'm not going to go first. I'm not going to be the one. I'm not going to acknowledge until they do. See, I'm starting small here. But small things lead into big things. Um, Nancy sent me a a YouTube video last night that was a sermon by Francis Chan that was dealing with um, a part of this subject. And and in that video, he said, you know, I often talk to people. Francis has an urban ministry and he's on the streets a lot. And he says, one of the illustrations I use is a toilet bowl. Um, bear with this, okay? He said, you know, you, you flush that toilet and it starts to spin. And um, we might look at rushing water that's spinning and think, oh, that looks like, it looks kind of like fun, not the toilet, but it looks like fun to jump on that, um, that like a rapid and just kind of go for a ride. But then it starts spinning down and it starts spinning down and it starts spinning down and down and down. And before it's, you know it, you're stuck in the flow of what you jumped into thinking that it looks fun and you're going down the drain. And it's carrying you down. And what can you do with it? And so it starts this way. I have seen lust 
destroy a marriage. And we think to ourselves, oh, one look, a little bit longer. What if that were my spouse or anything, anything impure? And we let it take root. We let it start. And it's like climbing on to the top of that flow that goes... For some of us, it's lies that have been fed to our souls about who we are as human beings. Lies about our identity and our worth. And so maybe we carry shame. Maybe we can't love ourselves or struggle to. When the Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy, you know that that is obviously not uh, an, a, an image of a real lion, but that he's looking for souls to mess with. He can't steal from Jesus' flock. The Word of God says, None will be lost that have been given to me. That's Jesus. He cannot steal, but he loves to mess with souls. Your mind and your emotions. And so for some of us, he's been doing this from birth onward. And he did it through dysfunctional parents and friends who weren't really friends. He did it through things that happened to us. And we don't even know what it means to be really loved, treasured, valued, image bearer of God, but for others of us, it's just an area where he sneaks in and he begins to sow worry and we don't cut worry off. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. That's a command. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. You can't add to your life and you can't, you can't extend it one day by worrying. Paul says, don't be anxious, but take everything to God in prayer and petition. And the God of peace who transcends all understanding will guard your heart. There's that word, guard your heart. But we worry. What if my retirement funds aren't enough? What if I can't make rent next month? What if so-and-so doesn't pay me? How will I make school payments next year? What about this? What about that? What if my job falls through? What if... And instead of worrying, we're not guarding our heart. We're not taking it to the Lord. And worry starts, worry starts to do its work in us. And worry and anxiety lead to what we can call practical unbelief. Practical unbelief. Where I say with my lips, I believe in Jesus Christ. God is the Lord. He's sovereign. He's a good father who takes care of his children. But in my heart, I'm being messed with. In my heart... Oh, I'm in turmoil. I've got to figure it out. I've got to run my life. I don't believe God will lead me. You see how this works? I'm just getting started. We're just scratching the tip of the iceberg in terms of things that can be let into our hearts, whether they be sin, whether they be um, doubt, whether they be fear. The Bible says over and over, do not be the single greatest command in the whole Bible Do not be afraid. 
Well, there's so much to fear out there. Do not be afraid. You have a God and Father who knows his children's needs, who watches over them day and night, from whom nothing can separate them from his love. Do not be afraid, he says. But we let fear take root. What if? Fear of people. What will so-and-so think of me? I can't do that. Fear, just these little things. Anything. If you give it space, will pollute what you experience as life. And what you experience as life starts when you wake up in the morning. And so if you don't like what you're waking up to, there's good news. The good news is that there's a way for our hearts to be cleansed and guarded so that we don't have to wake up to that. You say, what's the way, Pastor Dave? It's kind of depressing. You're overwhelming us with all of these examples, and you're telling us just this is the tip of the iceberg. Here's the way. It's not by trying harder. It's not by bucking up and pulling up your own bootstraps and going, I'm going to. The way is by looking to Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we look to him, and what do we see in Jesus? I want to look briefly at, just really briefly, one episode in Jesus' life and how that will, can affect us. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. The Spirit descends on him like a dove, and he hears the words of God, This is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased, whom I love. And immediately after hearing this benediction of God's love, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, so God, sends Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan. He faces three temptations. The first one is a temptation to believe in his heart. Again, it's his heart that I am what I do. So Satan comes to him and says, hey, you're the son of God. Turn this uh, bread into stones. And what might be behind that is, hey, you're 30 years old. You haven't done anything. You're claiming to be the son of God? We haven't seen anything yet. Do something. You're hungry. Meet your need. Jesus is tempted to do something that would meet a need. often comes that way. That would prove, oh, you are. Oh, you are the son of God. Second temptation, to believe that he is what he has. The devil leads him to this place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a flash, and he says, worship me, and I'll give you all of this. In other words, you're the son of God. You don't, you don't have anything. You don't look like the son of God to me. All this stuff's been given to me. And it was through our sin and rebellion. He was a rightful prince of this world at that time. And I'll give it to you if you'll just worship me. You are what you have, and you don't have anything. And Jesus resists, and he guards his heart. And the third temptation is, I am what others think. And so he leads him up to the Temple Mount, and he says, Hey, throw yourself down. The Word of God says that angels will take care of you. And won't that be really impressive? If you throw yourself off, and the angels catch you, like, see everybody down there? In church, they're all going to be really impressed, Jesus. 
at, at you. And he guards his heart. And how does he guard his heart? Truth, truth, truth. Scripture, scripture, scripture. We can't guard our hearts if we don't know the word of God. But the fruit of guarding his heart is so beautiful. Because when Jesus comes out of that desert, what is running out of Jesus? A river of life. Everywhere Jesus goes, people are, in the words of the hymn, he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You know that, that line? Everywhere he went, people felt loved. They felt valued. He brought healing. He brought deliverance. He extended the kingdom of God. He showed them this is what God the Father's like. People came home to God. Everywhere he went, there wasn't anyone who couldn't be touched by that river of love. It just was flowing out of him, bringing life, life, life. And it was pure. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anybody who comes to me out of their inner being, out of their heart, will flow rivers of living water. What's flowing out of us? If it's not living water, look to Jesus. He will cleanse. He will heal. He'll convict. He will remove so that we don't have to turn on the tap and experience tinted, poisoned life. So as you listen to me this morning, as you listen to the Lord speaking, just want to um, acknowledge that I think there's probably a vast difference in how we're hearing this. And so that some of us this morning might be having the Lord just go with one finger and highlight an area where we have not guarded our heart. We have let something in that is um, not good. We've let something take up residence in here, whether it's sexual impurity, whether it's believing things that aren't true, whether it is greed, whether it's doubt, whatever it is. Maybe the Lord's highlighting one area. And others of us might be saying, you don't mean to tell me, Pastor Dave, that I could live with that same like river of life that Jesus had flowing out of him, like that I could experience such a a purity and a delight and a joy and a holiness, like I could have that all the time? God would really give that? Pastor, I don't know where to start because, because my waters have been muddied so much and for so long. And if that's you this morning, the Lord invites you. He reminds you, first of all, that how he is coming to us is a father to children. So this isn't about forgiveness. The cross has atoned for our sins. This is about the healing, cleansing, forgiving, freeing work of God's Holy Spirit to help us live as children of God, dearly loved. And so he comes to us and he says, whatever you hear me saying to you, reach out back to me and ask me to do that cleansing work. Ask me right now to come and to cleanse and to help you guard your heart. And so I'm just going to invite one of our worship leaders to come up and begin to play the song that we're going to sing in a few minutes, Refiner's Fire. And we're going to turn toward prayer and um, acknowledge those things before the Lord and ask him to help 
cleanse and guard our hearts. Jesus, we fix our eyes on you, not on what's wrong, but on you. We just stand amazed again at the the depth and the commitment of your love to us, that you came into this world, that you pursued us, that you went through the cross, that you rose, and that you you come to us now by your spirit. You're here, Lord, and you're, you're still pursuing and you're still speaking to us. And so, Lord, we respond to you and we just say, come and um, cleanse, cleanse our hearts. Lord, if there's places where we've just given up, if we've given up on relationships, if we've thought my marriage will never get better, if we've just believed things, Lord, come and bring truth Come and refine and fill our hearts with the life that you came to bring, Jesus.